0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab. And in case you didn't know what the Investor Lab is, it is your oracle. It is your oracle for anyone who, particularly, you know, entrepreneurial types, go getters, spiritually enlightened and financially aware individuals who want to create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And that's probably the little mo- most abstract intro that I've done to this episode, but it kind of ties in really well with today's property and business episode. I, on this episode, I was joined by my my good pal, Charlie. If you've been listening to this podcast, you'll be familiar with Charlie uh, these days. We've done quite a few episodes along these lines together. And in this episode, we we tackled the idea of finance, business, and really what we actually – where we, we started out with the idea that we were going to talk about the challenges of finance for business owners, how to think about that. We talked about some ideas around that for sure and there's some really great um, tactical and practical advice around how to think about that. We also talked really deeply on preparedness and we talked about how to think about the duality of business, r- real estate and the different phases and cycles of those two ideas in, in the bloating and the cutting and where to find your balance and how to how to think about getting yourself in a position to start to extricate cash from your business. So. Super impactful. I think this is a conversation that you probably won't have had before with, with somebody else. So I really think you're going to get quite a lot out of this episode. Whether you're a business owner or not, this idea of how to think about your current life and business today and also building the life and business of tomorrow and how that all ties together is is super, super valuable. So. Without any further ado, I can't wait to get stuck into this. Oh, but first, if you are watching this, listening to this, whatever you're doing, consuming this, subscribe on whatever platform you're on. It means a lot. It really helps us to get the word out. Further to this, if you know somebody else who would benefit from this episode, just send it to them. Text it to them. Share it with them. Send them a message. Tag them in something. Do whatever you've got to do to get them involved because the more people we can help, the better. And of course, if you want to find out more about us and how you can get involved and how we can help you and the resources that you can get and all of that kind of cool stuff, just head to investorlab.com.au. So without any further ado, I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hi, hey guys. Welcome back to The Investor Lab. You're with your pals, Goose and Charlie. Charlie, how are you today?
1: Excellent, Goose. I'm doing well. I'm really excited for this time of year. It is just such the season to take action in business and property. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, doing really, really well. So I feel like the the world is waking up. You know, I think broadly speaking, you know, we were actually just chatting off air before we before we jumped on here about the momentum that's being built, broadly speaking. And also the fact that, you know, it feels like everything's starting to come together. You know, we've got summer's arriving, COVID's seemingly did not to d- downplay it right but seemingly dissipating the world's getting back to normal i hear you guys down south don't even need to wear masks anymore and stuff like that not that i have a problem with masks i'm right, just putting it out there i don't have a problem with taking precautionary measures to prevent people getting sick but it's as an indication that things are moving in a in a progressive direction you know the gdp has bounced back 3.3% um, consumer sentiment is skyrocketing the world seems to be coming alive and really really coming back online, which is, I think, so exciting. And particularly when you come out of a, uh, a trough, and I don't just mean like an economic trough, but I mean a spiritual and emotional uh, trough and a, and a down season, which we've just had. We've just had a winter of our spirits with, for most people, where we're like, hang on a second, the world isn't what I thought it was. I feel like I'm on shaky ground. In fact, you and I were talking just earlier about the difference between- throughout the year looking closer towards your feet and looking at where the next step is going to be and making sure you're standing on solid ground and now looking forward and going okay, where, what mountain am I going to climb? And it's a hugely different perspective shift and I think it's being shared by so many people. I can pick an, I'm can i picking that up in a lot of the conversations I'm having as well and yeah, I, I'm, I'm pumped. This time of year is great. And I think there's a lot of momentum
1: which which is, is currently working its way through the system. I like the way you've described that, right? Because in you know, not to. Um, I don't want to gloat or boast or have it in any way that form. But when you look at it on paper, like business and property has been good to me this year. Mm. Actually, I actually have nothing to be upset about, and right? I shouldn't be allowed to complain. No. I have a perfect one-year-old son who's healthy and happy. Like he's he's good, right? But the mental game this year, yeah, the mental game. Talk about copying a beating. Like I'll be full to disclose. There's been many days uh, in 2020 where it's like I've I've sat there, looked at my calendar, and I'm like right, just got to make it through the day. Just tick these boxes, pull it together, and it's like, I haven't really encountered it on that level before. Yeah. But coming into this recent time, it's back to those bigger desires and dreams about how we're going to play. And it's way more fun and exciting to live in that paradigm. Dude, it it so is. It was funny because, like, you know, we've been the same. You know, we've been the
0: same. We've- Our paradigm's shrunk. You know, what we're- our, Our worldview started to shrink. You know, and we were like, well, maybe we could just do this and just do this. And everything becomes a bit smaller. What you're trying to do becomes smaller. What you're thinking about, what you can do becomes smaller. You become less bold. You know, you stop thinking big. And that's, I mean, I think anyone who's ever interacted with me on any level understands that that's probably not really a core part of my spirit is thinking small, right? You don't
1: want to take that offensively but not a no. goose, small <laughs> I, Yeah, I would. I would. I would.
0: I would. But here's the thing. I, I was talking to Gabby this morning and I was like, you know what? We've been thinking really, really small. Because like, we started, started to think really small. We started to think that we could only have one or another. So, for example, why uh, we can either grow a really big business or we can have a nice lifestyle. And I was like. You know, just using that as one example. And I was like, dude, why can't we have both? Like, why can't we have a, a sick, huge business and also have a sick, huge life and not have to compromise those two? You know, that, and that's a scarcity versus abundance thinking. That's just one example, right? So, changing that, that paradigm about how we're thinking about things and, and where we're going. And yeah, I said, to, I was having that conversation with Gabby this morning. I was like, I understand why it's been a very mentally challenging year. But we've got to put ourselves into a trap of thinking really small. We need to change the game. And, and I think that a lot of other people are feeling the same way.
1: More than anything, there's a book I love called The Road Less Stupid, and someone we've spoken about, Keith Cunningham, yeah. many, many times. Uh, one of the things he expresses a lot in his stuff is that to learn from it, right? Yeah. To really learn from it. And my generation, like I'm 32, I think this is the first real curveball we had to deal with. Yes. But so I didn't particularly go through a crisis in 2008, I was too young and, uh, Drunk at a pub somewhere. Yeah, same. <laughs> Living for the weekend. I wasn't worried about the financial world. I was no, like, I, was like, I was like, Kevin Rudd's handing out 900 bucks. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 in hindsight, it was, that was actually the way to handle that. A lot of people were really stressed. I was having a great time. But anyway. Totally. <laughs> probably not, but jokes aside. Where this is the one where I feel like the mental game from there is like, I would just hate for too many business owners or even uh, property investors to brush this off and not go. Okay, well, this is a now a skill I've added. This is something I know how to endeavor, and I'm going to be better because of it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's really interesting.
0: Grant, like Grant Cardone, very polarizing character because I think for a lot of people they look at his braggadocio and and they think, oh, he's just this big hype monkey, and it's it's all it's all brash and everything like that. But I've been listening to a few interviews with him recently, and I honestly like very. They're quite deep, and he's actually quite a. I, I saw a completely different side to his whole story. But the interesting thing about um, that I wanted to bring to this conversation, I think it'll lend into where we're going anyway, um, is that in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, in the US, they called the Great Recession. You know, he was fifty years old. He was like forty nine to fifty one w- when that whole thing was happening. Fifty years old, he'd built a business. He would had all this kind of stuff, and he was like, okay. Yeah, cool. I'm building wealth, and he was doing his thing, but he was a bit stressed out and tired and, and angry, and but you know wasn't ultimately that happy. Anyway, the GFC, or they call it the Great Recession, happened, and he lost everything, and he was broke. He like completely he lost a lot. He lost a lot, and so n- he only started everything that you see now—the jets and the 1.5 billion dollar real estate portfolio and all of that kind of stuff. All of that has happened since he didn't he didn't start any of that journey until he was 51. Right? He didn't start it until after the last GFC, but he learned a heap of lessons. And the lessons he learned were, were around you know, building multiple pillars, having multiple income streams, building a parthenon to hold up his, all of that kind of stuff, and also how to play a much bigger game, particularly with finance. Because it, it was interesting, uh, it was in an interview where he was talking about how he I don't know, he'd just done $860 million worth of real estate deals or, or something like that, and somebody was like, oh, man, you're thinking small, you're thinking small, why can't you do $3 billion? And he initially said, well, I couldn't do, I couldn't do that. I, why couldn't you do $3 billion worth of deals in the next six months? He said, I couldn't do that. And he said, why? And he said, well, actually, I guess I just have to get the finance. And if I take $100 million, I could find someone to 10x that to get it to a $1 billion. And I could take that $1 billion dollars to go and buy $3 billion worth of real estate. And he thought about it for about 30 seconds went, hang on a second. All I need to do is join those dots and I can get to that result. And it's an interesting thing to think about because most of the time it's firstly psychological. And secondly, preparedness. Now, you wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to think like that if he firstly didn't understand the, how to play the finance game, what's possible. And he also wouldn't be able to think like that if he didn't have the preparation to be able to, to have the reserves to do all that kind of stuff. And so I think this lends into where we want to go with this conversation today, which is really around those ideas of like, well, maybe maybe you're not trying to buy $3 billion worth of real estate right now, but how can you prepare yourself for to, to grow, to think bigger and to have... Ultimately, what we all want is a is a bigger and more successful and successful being, you know, subjective, but a successful
1: life. Completely. And I, I really enjoyed that framing, Goose. I've got mad respect for Grand Carter. and what, what he teaches and what he does, obviously opinion based. Some people love it, some people hate it. But to lose it all, like, and, he had, and then to get it all back, I have immense respect for people who do it, what I call the pickup. Yeah. Right. To, to do something substantial, lose it all and get it back. They're the ones you've got to watch. Yeah. So fantastic story. So, um, uh, do you know what? I'm going to put a uh, little disclosure on the front of this is that none of this is to be taken as financial advice. And some of the things we may mention from this point onwards may be a little bit left of field, a little bit unhinged, maybe even completely wrong for what is even uh, potentially right or legal to do. <laughs> if you do act on any of these, if you take this advice, um, you probably deserve to lose your money if you're just going to act on what we say on this podcast. <laughs> right?
0: Well, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't maybe, know. Maybe, maybe,
1: maybe. maybe. The point I would make is seek help from the right people, <laughs> ensure it, do your own research, act at your own risk. Um, but nonetheless, that is fascinating.
0: And that is an official legal disclaimer. That is an official legal disclaimer for the things we're going to be talking about in this episode.
1: I want that against everything I've said on this podcast. <laughs> 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 Has <made> anyone, anyone <laughs> worked this out yet? I'm just winging it, right? <laughs> You're a wealth influencer
0: these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's cool, man. All right. Awesome. So, finance is a nightmare for everyone, right? But Yep. Particularly recently, I want to talk to your experience of this year because I think that it's a good example of pretty much what everyone's been going through. Broadly speaking, though, finance has been very challenging for everyone this year. There are some unique challenges that business owners face in this context, but there's some unique challenges that a lot of people have faced. The climate is changing, and it has changed from where it was in the past as well. And I think there's some important distinctions to understand about those phases of the credit cycle too, which we can talk to as well. But why don't, we, why don't we start with sort of where, how yours has gone this year and we'll, we'll get in and around
1: that. All right. So we'll start with the classic stories. And I think this happens for most business owners is they get into business and the strategy becomes with your finances to pretty much minimize tax, to put things in your business where you can make your business as profitable as possible in the beginning through tax strategies and things that maybe don't have your income looking as good. Maybe you're reinvesting hard in your business and you can't take a wage. Maybe you just can't pay yourself while you're trying to set it up, and we we certainly did that for many years. Uh, following on from that, though, so we never really got into a habit of paying ourselves well or uh, doing things or really running our books in a condition that were set to obtain good lending. So it took us a couple of years, and I will uh, say that even with my partner, is a bookkeeper and uh, kind of an accountant. She's got an accounting degree, but like she's well versed and understands this stuff. But nonetheless, uh, we had to spend a good year just getting our finances to look the right way and to be paid the right way so we could work with a broker to obtain finance.
0: Common story in business in general. Can I interject there? Because I want you to carry on. But this is an interesting perspective for business owners to have. How many, in your opinion, and not just specifically in your case, how long does it take for a business to achieve enough stability typically to start thinking this way? Because is, is it, you know, is it, did you have to sort of do two years of like, just putting everything back into the business and then and then go, hang on a second, now we've found- is there a, Do you have any thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah,
1: I definitely do. I think for anyone that's trying to have a good crack, I think you pretty much need to give up your first two years. Interesting. Um, I think is reasonable. And the reason I say that is because if you're trying to grow a substantial business and pay yourself well at the same time, the likelihood of that occurring is you're either going to do one of two. You're either going to suffocate your business because you're taking too much oxygen, in this case money out, Mm. So you're not going to reinvest in the tools. You're not going to do the Facebook ad campaigns. You're not going to do Google or hire this because your perception is to pull money out. Mm. And I think what ultimately happens is your competition is smarter than you. They reinvest and they end up taking the pie. I saw this happen to a lot of agencies where it's like, which is my world, where I've played in digital. Where it's people have always spent the time making sure they had a nice car or a nice house or had the holidays. And then the, the little guy that looked like he was just wearing a hoodie doing nothing in the corner put every cent back in. Ate them all,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, it's a common story, I'm sure, in many industries. So it's like you know, if you don't reinvest in your business well enough in that beginning stage, and hire the right people, and go the extra effort, you struggle. Conversely, if you put it all in and you can't pay your bills, um, you can end up in a really dangerous position. So it's um, that balancing game, and how fast you reinvest, and everything is uh, interesting, in my opinion. Yeah. But I would say, for most, like you, I, in an ideal world, if I was starting again. I'd say two years was enough time for me to find some stability, invest in the company enough to set up good relationships, good clientele, all those types of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a, fi- it's a fine balance between you know pushing the business as hard as they can in the first two years to get the momentum and th- to get the flywheel effect to take hold and also staying happy, sane and healthy and, or, and prosperous and stuff like that. But anyway, okay, cool. So you move past that point. For you guys, and then you started thinking, okay, well, we've got to, we've got to start. We want to start
1: building wealth, and it took you a couple of years to get that side of things on track. Do you want to talk to that? Okay, so as I know the story, and feel free to correct the narrative. <coughs> in around 2008, when uh, we were busy at the pub, Goose, yep, um, or at the nightclub or the local disco, whichever evening best suited our needs, Kevin Rudd put in some procedures and things to make sure that Australia didn't do, um, which was the prime minister at the time. He made some actions that they. Pulled together to say, look, we need to do things to finance to make sure this can't happen to Australia and regulation tightened immensely on finance. You can't do crazy loans and things. And I know there's a whole deeper story to that of like what actually happened, but ultimately the rules of finance became tighter. Yep, we as business owners, obviously, a number of years later, like getting into the rules that allowed us to get finance was much stricter than they used to be. So it wasn't just going and seeing your local bank manager and saying, hey, mate, look, you know, I've got an right business, hook us up with a loan. Meeting the requirements of this one stability in your books, they like to see consistency. The deposit required, everything like that, was actually much higher than many people would uh, endeavor or have to rather. So, give you a few examples here is like we they required 30% deposits for me um, because of the nature of being a business owner, the, lo- the longer finance thing, those types of things really started to be what we had to put together. I have friends that I'm sure we can do this, but because they were in like secure government jobs. They've been there, like what was it, six payslips or something, or six months, and then just bang, go go get it. You're good
0: to go, dude. It's not six. It's not six months. You can do it with. Well, you can do it now. This is not every lender, right? But there are a lot of lenders that were some. Let me just rephrase that. There are some lenders out there, not just not loan sharks either. Like legitimate, <laughs> legitimate lenders. One, uh, one payslip and one full time employment contract. There you go. You know. Obviously, the more you have, the more track record you have being in, a biz- in being an employee. The you know the better is more options you've got. But the reality is, it d- there's a lot more bandwidth and a lot more leeway there where you can be like, hey, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Like, here's here's my last couple of pay slips and here's my here's my employment contract. Can I have some money, please? And it's a it's a, it's pretty unique. In the d- in difference, I think,
1: so it's it's massive. And um, I guess I from their perspective, I completely understand that. With the failure rate being so high in business, if I was a bank, I probably wouldn't want to lend to business owners either, right? I, I completely get it. You lend your money to someone who's likely to fail. Yeah, the stats are you won't be your business won't be around for as long as this loan will. Yeah, totally. So it, I I completely. On the other side of it, earning potential is higher in business owners. It's, you can't go to an employee, oh, you need to make an extra hundred grand next year. <laughs> yeah, totally. The risk of
0: You know, for lack of a better term, cooking the books though is is that that, that's where it comes in because it's easy for a business owner to say no, 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 look, look, I'm earning two hundred thousand dollars this year, but the business is losing one hundred and fifty. You know, and so that's where the that's where the interplay comes in and why they'd go okay. Well, we need to see the financials. The problem often comes though when you know, for example, there was an interesting scenario that we had a client who was buying a property. Look, not a ridiculous property. I can't remember the exact numbers. I'm going to say it's around about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Like it's not a not a huge purchase. Uh, he's got plenty of capital. He's got three or four businesses, I think. And uh, his wife works for one of those businesses. And even though he was trying to go get, you know, it was the purchase was separate to the businesses. But because she wasn't an arm's length employee and all of this kind of stuff, she ended up having to go guarantor on his loan. And it, it was got very, very, very complex because all of these interrelationships, all because he's a business owner. Now- you know, if she had just gone to get finance, she could have just gone and gotten finance. Um, but because he was getting finance, and then some of the, you know, because it was his wife, their their combined bank accounts, and her income was then tied to his business, and it, it's a very complicated, complicated things massively. And I think there's like there's all these unknown and unforeseen trip hazards that people, particularly business owners, come across when they're actually trying to get into the game and get started. You know, there are there are other examples. Of people we know that who have got tech startup style businesses where the model, the model of the business is to lose money, right? For a really long period of time, raise capital and lose money. And even though that's the model and they could be doing very, 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 very well, right? They could be, their business could be growing, everything could be great, all of the investors could be ecstatic, everything could be completely, perfectly on track. But then when the director goes to try and find, to get finance, and says, yeah, let's just make up some numbers, but they say, I earn like $150,000 a year, but they're like, yeah, but the business has lost a million. It's like, yeah, but that's what it's designed to do. That's how it works. (laughs) You know, as far as the bank's concerned, it's, they just, they start to short circuit and they can't understand what to do with that, you know?
1: It's fascinating you even bring that up, right, that even the sector you're in as a business owner matters now. Yeah. I didn't think it would, but in that example there, it's like the banks don't know how to value that or- They can't understand it, yeah. So I'll tell you a conversation I had. This is hilarious. I, I um I wanted to get a new credit card. Um I'm am a very I don't want to say risk adverse, but I'm a pretty um conservative guy in general. I think. Now I rang up to get a credit card from this company because I really liked something they had, which was that a sixty day interest free period. My current card only had thirty, and I was like, "We're in a good shape." But if we had, if anything ever came up, sixty days interest free is substantially more time to fix any problems than thirty. Let's get this credit card. So, I went and I did the application and I, I got through to, I don't know what they called them, the person who reviews the credit stuff, the credit assessor, I think. Credit I'm assessor, it. yeah. Yeah. So, I'm on the phone to this person and um, I'm talking to them and they start asking me these questions and I can gauge pretty quickly that this isn't going to go well um, because they're asking me about what assets in the physical world could they liquidate to come past a credit card debt if it occurred. So, like, Does the business have any cars? Does the business have any equipment? Like, I've got some media equipment. Like I got some, you know, expensive cameras and and all the rest of it. But ultimately, even though my business is highly profitable, even though we've got years of track record and I bank with them, right, they have all my money, (laughs) that I was disapproved for that uh, credit card, couldn't get a $5,000 credit card because I wasn't credit worthy. They said the risk profile of me and my digital assets is way past their scope, and they won't touch me.
0: Yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I was having a conversation yesterday um, with a former business partner of mine. We don't no longer run the business, um, but it still exists as a entity. Somebody else has an interest in it, right? Somebody else has an interest has an interest in it, and then so now the conversation is around how do we value the assets? You know, so we've got things like brand, we've got things like uh, database, we've got things like IP. You know, there's things like you know, there's still some tax credits and stuff. There's stuff like this. So then it's like, well, hang on a second. You can look at this and say, well, there's like a million dollars worth of asset value here. But then, but then how do you can you liquidate? <laughs> you know, I probably I couldn't take that to the bank. You know, I couldn't go, I couldn't take it to the bank and go, hey, I've got this brand. <laughs> can you lend me some money? Because I've got this brand over here, you know, partly because it's a depreci- depreciating asset and stuff like that as well. But it's a very interesting thing to think about. Like, what have, what have you got that's, that is, that, is going to be a valid asset, have a, a, what has asset value value to you might not have asset value to somebody else. So therefore, how do, where is the true value of that? And also, how does it benefit in the real world? Right? So there's a, there's a bunch of stuff to unpack there.
1: I've got another interesting one. So on previous episode we recorded, we spoke about a, a property that was a commercial property that was... Um I, I won't label it. You may still be trying to uh, – someone may be interested in it who's better suited, so I won't give away any details Yeah. Um. because someone might be taking it. But nonetheless, I'll, I'll give you another conversation. So we go to get commercial finance on this property. We're like, we'll investigate if we can get it. We call a bank. I won't name the bank. We're dealing with our broker and he's dealing with someone. And initially, our broker had said to someone, oh, look, I've got someone interested in this property. And they gave out terms. They said, look, it's a 35, 30 to 35% deposit. The 25-year loan and the interest rate will be about 4%, 4.5% on that type of loan. When we went to that next step and they realized that we were business owners and it was an entity, it was funny that that loan went up to, oh, actually, it's a, a 40% deposit at minimum and we're only willing to give 10-year terms on it and the interest rate is 4.5%. So they just that's purely on situation. They're like, that's how much they ramped up the risk profile based on us. That's brutal. There
0: are things that people can do, though, to prepare for this. And we sort of started touching on that at the start. What, Like preparedness, I think, is key. So I'll, I want to talk to a, an obviously hypothetical situation, right? So, But if you're a business owner, there are some things that you can do to make things a little easier down the line. Now, long, I don't know. Right? And again, so I'll just talk about this hypothetical situation. But if you and your partner, for example, aren't married – and you keep completely separate bank accounts and completely separate finances. Now a lot of couples will say, "But we're together. want we want to do this whole thing, you know, and that's great, but isn't the whole thing that we want to do together is have a prosperous life, right? And so if you can get, overcome that mental hurdle and separate your finances, so completely separate it. Don't have like and all, try not to have any bills in, this, in joint names. Completely disconnect them. That allows you a little bit more opportunity to be selective about where, how you're framing up the finances and who's going to be doing what and, and how and why. Now, the other way to think about that is that where it gets complex for business owners is when you're the director of the business and therefore your income is tied to the, to the income or the finances of the business. So, if you can disconnect yourself, uh, if you can disconnect um, people around you from the business and you can extricate your own finances and all of that kind of stuff, you can then have selective directorship. So, you could, for example, say, well, I'll be the director and uh, my partner won't be a director, for example, and perhaps your partner could go and buy properties, right, And which is going to benefit you all along and you can, you know, it's all good. Like, I think if you're in a committed and loving relationship, there's no problem with that. That's one way you can think about it. Now, you can kind of take that to, to multiple degrees, but I know, I know a few- Business owners, who that is kind of the core part of the strategy. So, for example, uh, one of our clients who is currently uh, currently PAYG accountant, starting her own accountancy uh, practice. You know, she's going to do it all remote and all that kind of stuff. Totally cool. I cautioned her. I said, once you transfer out of that PAYG and you're going your accountancy stuff, you're going to you're going to stuff up your borrowing a little bit. You're going to go through this period that we're talking about now, where you may not be able to borrow. So the chasm, the chasm. Yeah, it's the <laughs> gap. It's the gap. You know, you have got a two-year chasm, right? Where it's two years if everything goes well, right? It's two years if everything goes well. If you make profit in year one and profit in year two, you've got two years that you can't borrow, basically, right? And once you've cleared the hu- hurdle, you're kind of okay. But if you lose money in the first year, which is pretty common, absolutely. yeah, well, then you've got two years to go from there. Exactly, you've got three. And if you lose money in the second year, or if you optimize for tax in the in either, like, you you just keep pushing it out. So. You know, uh, that, so, so what she's thinking about is, okay, well, who else could be the director so that I could be the accountant in the accountancy business and take a PAYG salary from the accountancy business and somebody else
1: could hold directorship whilst it's going through the chasm? That's just a thought. It's it's fascinating, right? It's a really interesting thing. I'll, I'll use a, an analogy I mentioned uh, to you before. I'm, I'm a, a th- this might get a touch controversial. I'm a bit of a cycling fan, but I'm a particular fan. Is that of, the um, controversial bit? That you're a bit of a cycling fan? No, I think I've said enough on this <laughs> podcast to be honest. But it's um, is it Lance Armstrong hugely controversial character? Obviously, got up to some naughty business in the '90s with uh, illicit substances and all the rest of it. What I find really fascinating about these guys that um, I sincerely believe. That he is just on a whole nother level. Like, whenever you watch his interviews or wherever you look at it, like, you realize him as a person is he's a win at all cost person. And it's, if you look to some of his behaviors, I think they apply here. So, when Lance was going out to like win the tour, right, that was his whole thing. The first thing he did is he said, Right, we're not going to win any other races. We just do this. So, he restructured the whole team just to win the tour because that was all that mattered to them. Hmm. Now, A lot of people predecessant to that and before that would try and win the Giro or the Despana or other events that are important in cycling. It was like, well, that just moves us away from what the actual goal is. We're here to win tours. So I would make the claim and argument here that if you're serious about combining business and property, like you want that to be your vehicle, that you're going to have to make choices in your business that aren't fully optimized for business. Mm. So... We talk about the idea of being this preparedness to buy property we're talking about in this example here. If you've been making decisions to make the business as big as it can be, you're probably not making the decisions to be prepared for property. Yeah. If you're taking on massive debt and plant equipment and a business model that loses a couple hundred grand a year or a million dollars a year to get there, well, really you are saying, well, I'm optimizing for business success. And we've covered optimizing for wealth in another episode, which I thought was a really interesting idea. But you've got to... Play it differently in the prepared stage. I think entering Pilot. business blind and picking a business model blind and then trying to somehow make it fit that you can, you know, as the example of what Lance didn't do, win all the races. I'm going to have a hockey stick, lose money business. I'm also going to have a really exorbitant lifestyle and holiday houses and yeah. all these things. And I'm going to do property. Like that just sounds like a disaster. And I, every person that goes out in more recent time and tries to win all three events in cycling fails. Yeah, they totally to do it.
0: So it's it's the idea of bloating and cutting, right? So, so the idea we we'll talk, I'll talk about this in a few different ways. So, for example, if you're in fitness and you want to, you in doing weights, if you're bloating, i.e., going through a phase where you are building muscle and that's your goal, growth, grow the muscles, then you're going to be eating surplus calories. You're going to be putting on weight. You know, you're going to be putting on fat, not just muscle. You'll get bigger. All right. And then you go through a phase where you're like, okay, well now I want people to be able to see the muscles. I want to be able to take that in and strip that back. You go through the cutting phase. Same thing happens with business. You know, if you're going through a growth phase, it typically means that you are not going to have a lot of cash flow because you're going to be investing heavily. You're going to be bloating, right? You're going to be you're going to be putting. If you're actively like, yep, going to grow this puppy, which is why the high growth businesses are typically the negatively geared ones, like the you know the the hockey stick, the the, the SaaS, the VC backed type ones, because they're like it's growth. It's like it's just like let's just pump money into growth. Now, as you as you grow, then you then you can start to cut, and then as you cut, I don't necessarily mean sack everyone, but if you're if you're investing heavily in growth strategies, you'll develop a certain amount of momentum that will start to develop a certain amount of revenue, and then you can start to pare back your expenses, the surplus expenses, and you can start to go, okay, where can we start to trim some fat off and get it back lean, and then you can start to pull out the cash flow. Now, as we were talking about in the preparedness of of, of business and property, you're optimizing for those two kind of things, right? You're going, okay, am I going to grow the business and am I going to take cash flow out? When you try and sit on the middle band, which sounds great, right? Okay, well, how could I grow and have cash flow? How could I build muscle and cut fat, right? How can I do that at the same time? And it's, it's possible, but it's really inefficient. Like, that's the thing. You can do it. You can do it. You, you actually can simultaneously change your body composition and increase your muscle mass and decrease your fat, it's just really inefficient. It's just not the most efficient way of doing it. And so what can happen is that people don't get much momentum. And so they'll get to the same destination, but it'll take them a lot longer because they're trying to do both. And they're not thinking about, well, what phase of the cycle am I in? And that's an important thing to think about in, in business and property. Because if you're going through a phase where, okay, I want to go and build wealth outside of business, therefore I need cash flow. right? I need to be able to I need to be able to pull cash out. I need to have surplus cash in the bank. I need to be able to pull cash out without a compromise in the business. I need to be able to pay myself more, pay my partner more, whatever the structure of extricating the finances from the company are. You need to be able to do that, but you need to be able to do that without corroding your business. Now, in order to get to a position where you have enough of a moat, to be able to do that, you need to focus on growth. You need to grow the business, right? Because otherwise, you're going to be pulling money out too early. You won't grow it. The business is probably going to fail. Then you won't end up with the property or the business that you want. You'll get none of it. And so, understanding how to play those two cycles against each other, I think,
1: is a a critical part of the sport, don't you? It's interesting that we've ended up here because this isn't the original even (laughs) ideation of what we're talking in finances, which is common in our episodes, Goose. Yes. But this comes back to this idea of preparedness, right? Yes. How many people are actually prepared or even thinking about that? How many people are are out there right now going, right, I know right now uh, for the next three years or whatever required to meet your financial things. We've had a good run in business. I'm flipping the gear now and my focus is on being prepared to get a property, sticking that course and not grabbing shiny opportunities or taking on excessively uh, silly moves in business or personal to to make that happen, like flicking that switch with a a conscience rather than uh, I think what happens for most, myself included. Um, uh, This is one of those things where it's like I'm trying to preach it out, realizing that this was me as well is going that, you know, a day happened where I wanted to buy a property and I realised how far away I was being prepared for that event.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And this is, I think, uh, and this is a big challenge. And understanding how to, what, how to think about that is really, 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 really important. You know, it's interesting, one of, another one of our clients, actually, who was on PAYG but had a partnership. They've got like a, like a permaculture farm, but it's kind of like a bit of a side, it's kind of like actually where they live and stuff. But it's structured as a, as a, as a partnership and the partnership made a loss. Right, which they were again, even though they, they were using that as a tax offset against their PAYG. But again, even in that, that circumstance, the banks would love that. Yeah, yeah, they love yeah. That. They were like, "Hang on, what's going on here? You got a business that loses money and stuff like this." And so they had a really hard time extricating those two things, even though he, you know he's like, "I'm an engineer, man. Like, I'm going to get my engineer salary." So they had to go and try and find. They had to go and play. He, he's very good at playing the finance game. I got to say, like he's, he's like probably better than me. I ask him for advice when it, when things get quirky, right? But he actually had enough knowledge in the space to go, okay, well, how can I get around this? Found different lenders, found different ways of doing the paperwork, so to speak, so that that would get him in the right position. But again, it's all about preparedness, and this is kind of the the function of what we're talking about here because you know I can talk personally, like when when we started this business, we didn't prepare. You know, we were like, yeah, cool. We're going to start this business. It's going to be great. And we, like, just, we're going to be buying properties for ourselves, buying properties for other people. You, we can find the best properties. So, we're in the hot seat, right? We're in the hot seat. And we didn't prepare. Like, we just didn't prepare. And so, it's like been a huge bump in the road for us to go through all this process as well. And so, we're seeing it firsthand and having to navigate that, that pathway too. And it's such a common thing that most people- most people wouldn't be thinking about because as we touched on earlier, as we touched on earlier, I mean, if I were to if I were to say, if I were to call, I was gonna say call up Gabby, if I was to walk into the next room and say, Gabby We can I, call it. I'm fine with that. All right, I'll call if I were to call Gabby and say, Gabby, I'm out. I quit. I quit dash dot and um I you know, I resign as a director and I'm out of here. And I would have walked down the street and I don't know, there's a buyer's agency down the street. I've seen their shop front, which is quite funny they've got a shop front. And if I were to go into that buyer's agency and say, "Hey, I'm a buyer's agent. Can I have a job? Um, but I want to get a salary." And they gave me a, an employment contract on the day, and they and and I worked for them for a week, and I got a pay slip or two weeks and got a pay slip. I could, I could go and get, I could go and buy a house. I could go and buy a house in, I could go and buy a
1: house in two weeks, and that. But a, and it's crazy to think that, right? The bureaucracy, right, is where I keep coming back to. Is like these, um, you know, it's this whole thing of like, you know, what we view as Means and then I realized they've got to put rules in place to stop malpractice and a whole bunch of things going wrong. But it's like the bureaucracy of finance and what in theory seems like a good idea versus reality. But at the same time, maybe we're excessively uh, optimistic about our own futures. Maybe the banks are playing the numbers. We're sitting here going, oh, well, we we could, we're going to be fine. No, we'll be in that. But maybe we're not, right? Totally. And this is something I wanted to actually touch on now. Did you know that, that I think it's only
0: about 50%, it might be just 48, 48%, just under 50% of business owners paid themselves superannuation?
1: Not surprising. Yeah, it's not surprising at all. Like it's not
0: even vaguely surprising. I came from an industry in uh, festivals and events where well, I don't think anyone paid themselves any super. Everyone was technically a business owner. They all had their own ABN and everyone was freelance and no one got paid award wages. Like, never, n- 15 years, never got paid an award wage. And no one paid, no one, no one, myself included, paid themselves super. It just wasn't done. I was like, "Why would you take some of your hard-earned money and go put it in
1: super?" You're like, <laughs> hang on, what's going on here? So, well, c- counter to that: if you're a business owner and you're good at what you do, and you're going to put your money in super, you're actively taking your money and saying, "I'm going to get a worse return." Well, mm-hmm.
0: this is this is part of the problem, right? So, this is this is this is part of the problem. So, we don't see the value in it as business owners. We don't see the value in it. I'm like. Why would I do that? Like, I can do so much better with that. But inherently, here lies the problem. And you, and you said you, maybe we're too optimistic about betting on our own future. As we know, most businesses don't survive long term. Yeah, industries shift, whatever, people change, whatever the case may be. But the reality is that most businesses don't last. All you need to do is look at the, the S&P 500 now versus 50 years ago and see the change. So the point is, though, How are people preparing? Because we usually have too much optimism when it comes to like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna I I get it. I've listened to Charlie and Goose, and all I need to do first is grow the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll pump all my money into the growth phase. And then I'll cut and I'll take some cash out. The problem comes when you're not, you're not, again, prepared. Because you might try and grow the business and then that might not go how you quite planned because you were too optimistic and maybe you overinvested. And this happens a lot in businesses where they're like, all right, cool. I'm going to do seven different strategies. Five of them will work. Two of them won't. Bam. Let's skyrocket this thing and it doesn't happen, right? And then they end up end up worse often when they started. And so then they're constantly fighting this battle. At the same time, they're going, I'm not going to pay myself super because I can do better with that money. But the net result is that they might not be. Or... Alternatively, they they get too caught up in the growth phase, thinking, "Well, I'll grow it and I'll grow it and I guess I'll just keep growing it." And eventually, like in five years' time, that's when I'll start taking money out. Oh, in seven years' time, that's when I'll start taking money out because they don't think about these things in shorter-term cycles where you can bloat and cut and bloat and cut consistently a couple of times in a year. And so the net result is that they don't have any super, they don't have any preparedness, they don't build a moat, they don't have any reserves, and they're not actually doing any any real-world estate planning. They're not actually saying, okay. Well, what happens if all of this goes bad? What am I going to have that is going to provide me with wealth? What is the thing that is going to provide me with cash flow? Like, what happens if in five years' time I grow this thing and then it hits a stone wall and it dies and I haven't created 50, 60, 70, 80, $100,000 of passive income through property? What if I haven't done that? And that's what I think the superannuation conversation is less about oh, everyone should put money into some really poorly managed entity. And more thinking about, well, what is my estate planning? Like, how am I, what is my wealth, what is my wealth strategy with this? And how does that
1: tie with my growth, growth strategy? I'm concerned no one's even really playing this game, right? They're just battling the trenches of business and not thinking about it at all. It's like, how, how many conversations have you had with people about this type of thing? Like, this is my first. <laughs> it's not common spoke about, and that's part of the um, challenge here. I, on, honestly, I'll, I'll frame it up. I think it would be a much easier game if you just focus on business or just focus on property and go and get it. It's the combination yeah. of the two that makes it more difficult. But also some immensely higher rewards are possible if you nail this and pull it off.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the challenge because you're 100% right. You know, like just focus on, you know, like if you just focused on business, you'd probably, you know, it'd, well, it'd certainly be easier. Let's just say that it'd be easier. I don't know whether you'd be better off like i don't I don't think I can honestly say that because I think that maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but better off for how long and in what way and all of this other stuff you know like better off is pretty subjective, so it really depends again what's the what's the function, and I think that it, it's it's understanding that you need to it's like the mindset of a CEO. They need to run the business – That they need to run two businesses. They need to run the business of today and they need to run the business of tomorrow, right, at the same time. Not just like, all right, I run today's business and then tomorrow I run tomorrow's business. They need to be thinking, okay, how do I make this machine right now do everything that it needs to do whilst simultaneously creating and executing the next machine? You know, what is the next phase? What is the next phase? What is the next phase whilst also staying rooted in the current? And that is the duality of, of how to play the game of, of property and business as well. Because whilst in your business, you need to be the CEO, take on that role and go, yes, today's function, the most critical operation that we need to do today to be successful over today and the next month and the next quarter is this. But over the next 6 months and 12 months, we need to actually have a completely different machine and I'm going to start building that now. You're, you're running two businesses. You're building two businesses at the same time. And essentially, that's the game that every business owner needs to play. And if they're not playing that, they're probably going to find themselves in six months wondering, shit, how did I get here? And why isn't this machine the way that it should be in the current environment? So they get caught in that. But it's the same duality of mindset.
1: It kind of explains the, um, I suppose, the results though, right? It kind of explains why so many people fail. It yeah. kind of explains like when you start to layer these things in, it's like it, it's not shocking to me why the failure rate is so high. Like I've been around a lot of business owners. I've been in this game for quite a while now. It's really fascinating to me that it's not necessarily like I've seen really smart people do huge blunders, like create a giant mess. And they're really smart people. Yeah. And I've seen conceivably uh, people that are, I won't say idiots, but not far off. <laughs> or to say there's a, you know, there's a crayon missing from the set. And yet they're crushing it. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So it's like it's not a smartness thing, but it's like you know what m- the way they come to this with the mental model, how they think about it, the wideness of view here, all plays a role in this preparedness. Yeah, this totally. paranoid.
0: Totally. And I think one of the things that I think catches a lot of business owners out, out is that they will work really hard, then they'll eventually get the business to work, and it'll work based on a set of assumptions. So, for example. Hey, Facebook ads seem to be working, so I guess we'll just, great. Or, oh, my God, I finally cracked it. I finally cracked business. All I need to do is I need to run Facebook ads. That brings in leads, and then I have a sales team, and then I ha- oh, my God, yes, I won. I won the game. I worked it out. All I need to have is this. And then all of a sudden, Facebook ads stop working, and they're sitting there going, no, 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 no. no. Facebook ads work. This is our machine. No, 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 no. And they keep putting more money and more money. And then their Facebook ads are performing worse and worse. They're like, no, nah, I'm not sure. It must be the market. must be something else. must be this. No, nah, no, no. This is the thing that works. This is the thing that gave us success. Uh, what? No, 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 no. Everything else is wrong until it's too late. Until they're like, hang on a second. We're in the red here. What happened? We were doing the things that worked once. Why aren't they working now? And this is the idea of having to build two businesses or three or even four. Even four. The more models that you can have in your mind of where the business is going and to be consistently working on those at the same time as not corroding your current position in business, that's where the success will be found, right? And it's the same, same duality that you need to think about with property. If you think about property as another business, you need to say, okay, in this duality or quadality or however many fragments you want to have in there, you need to say, what is my current cash flow business of today? Where is my growth business of tomorrow? Where is my cash flow business of the next day, and also where is my real estate business, and how do all of these businesses serve each other? Because you're not gonna, you're not gonna have one. Say, I'm not gonna have like a buyer's agency today that does one thing, and then a buyer's agency that d- tomorrow that does another. But one could feed into another, and the services could change. So that transition is the is the shifting between the two worlds, and it's the same idea of essentially positioning real estate investing as part of the business journey and working out
1: how that integrates as part of that phase, those phasings. Completely. Com- I'm so into this ideation here. And I was just- oh, You know, I get reflective on some of these episodes, Goose. I've just like, um, like the mixture of complacency and ego. Yeah. Right? At times in my own- uh, To your point, it was Google Ads for me right at this time. You know, not that you were pointing the knife directly at me, but it was this far away. <laughs> I thought I'd worked out the secrets to the universe. I really did. And as click prices went up, and I, I was too proud, right? The ego kicked in. Him. No, no, I've got this. Didn't ask for help, didn't realign. Ego kept firing, complacency kept firing. And like I dug myself a hole. Yeah. I was like, you, you learn to eat that humble pie. I think most business owners have had uh, an experience in that world but a fascinating conversation about viewing this in cycles and the duality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that kind of helps to, to, to coagulate the ideas of property and business because rather than thinking about it as two separate things, well, I have this business and then separately I'm going to have some property, it's all part of the same machine, right? It's all part of the same machine and it's the machine of your own life, right? That, and that's, that's, that's where we need to meld these two things together. So you can start to think, well, hang on a second, rather than – how do I become a slave to my business for two years to achieve a certain um, financial goal and all of that kind of stuff? And then how do I extricate that and go and have a, have a lifestyle goal? Like, how do we smash all this stuff together? So, we started on finance and we ended up on duality. So, I think this has been good. I
1: feel like the duality covers finance though. Totally. And, and it's a, this bigger broaching topic of preparedness though, right? If you could think of your life and business and property as this duality and playing this short and long game- And being prepared for the stages of bulking and cutting, or I think you call it bloating and cutting, or whatever it is in that way. You stand to be better at the game of finance. Be more prepared and take that initiative. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I guess the big message from this one is start thinking about the business that you're creating of tomorrow and start making those preparations now financially, emotionally, spiritually, and that's what's going to set you up for greater levels of success and allow you to think bigger and play a much bigger game. It's been good, Charlie. been awesome, Goose. See you guys on the next episode.